Welcome into episode 27, the Gump Runners podcast, Chase Thorne and Lester Mitchell, along with Jeremy Law, um, the former the former host of the Gump Runners podcast, but uh, he's moving on to bigger and better things. So now we're, you know, we're lucky enough to have him grace us with his presence here. J-Law, how's it been going, man? I know you've been busy. Tell everybody a little bit about what you've been doing with uh, all the sports you've been calling lately. Oh, man, it's not too serious. Never, never too big to get on the podcast with you guys, that's for sure. Just... Been busy, so Okaga had a Final Four run. I picked up the Montebello baseball gig for uh, the University of Montebello, so that's been pretty fun. But other than that, man, I've just been enjoying some Bama hoops like like everybody else and uh, ready to get into things tonight. Have you uh, have you have you tweeted at Chris Stewart? Have you emailed and told him that he, he better be looking over his shoulder? Because if he, if he slips up, if he says anything racist or an anti-Semitic or whatever, then you're right there to take his job and you'll pick up right where he left off. Well, luckily, I I know Chris. I interned for him when I went, when I was in school at Alabama, so um, we know each other a little bit. But no, luckily Chris is a real professional, so I'm not sure you'll have to worry about any of that with Chris Stewart. But heck, it's just going to be hard enough to uh, jump Roger Hoover. I was listening to him doing baseball the other day. The guy's phenomenal. So, and he's got the voice of God, by the way. Roger Hoover just kind of hanging in the background. So. Those those two guys are really good, but man, it's been it's been fun landing the first college gig. You know, we'll see how it goes. I may never make it past D two, but we'll see. Yeah, Roger Roger Hoover done years in minor league baseball. He's got plenty of practice, and yes, he does do a good job. Um, yeah, uh, been a while since we've done a podcast. I have some some personal news to share. I recently just had my second child. She was born on uh, on on Tuesday afternoon at three o'clock, and uh, my second little girl. So. We weren't able to record, um, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, like we usually do. And then I had some family coming in last night. We just got home from the hospital um, on, on Thursday afternoon. So we had grandparents coming and seeing her and everything. So uh, tonight was really the first time that I had some some free time. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll just talk briefly. I mean, Alabama racking up the awards a lot like they did in football. Let's talk about Herb Jones for a second, you know, winning – SEC player of the year and defensive player of the year. He's the first non-Kentucky player to ever do that. And um, Lesser, just talk a little bit about what, what her, what, what really, why you think Herb won this award. You know, he wasn't the highest scorer in the league. I think he's like the fourth or fifth highest scorer on his own team, but he brings so much more to the table. Just talk a little bit about Herb Jones and what allowed him to win these two awards. I, I think that everyone in the SEC knows that Herb is the glue for this team. He really is. Um, he's not the flashiest. He's not going to score the most, but he does the dirty work, and he continues to do it. And with his recent injury problems, battling through that, the guy's a tank. I mean, and he has a track record of being the toughest son of a gun, you know, in the SEC. I kind of feel like – I kind of feel like it's almost a lifetime award for uh, <laughs> for Herb. Because he just had has this, I don't know, people just have this view of him that he's just the glue. He makes Alabama goes. He's the dirty guy. He'll dive on the floor. He's just to do everything kind of guy for Alabama uh, basketball. I was a little surprised to see that he won uh, player of the year and defense player of the year. Well, I guess defense player of the year is, that's always a given for her. But to win the SEC player of the year, you know, in the, in the league with some really good guys, uh, that's surprising. But well-deserved. Um I know I had my doubts about her coming to the year about how much he contribute, especially in this NATO offense. But I'm glad to see that he gets 
Yeah, and we, we, we basically all knew Herb Jones basically a lock for Defender of the Year in the SEC. But uh, J-Law, just talk about what he's able to, to do to have done offensively this year to, you know, because there was a run in January where we didn't just think of him as the SEC Player of the Year. He was, you know, a, a pretty serious contender for the Naismith Award, the, the National Player of the Year. And then, you know, kind of went through a, I guess you can say a slump, scoring wise offensively you know whenever his hip injury came out and then kind of picked it up towards the end of the season you know being versatile and doing some of the dirty work but that's that's the stuff he's always done just talk about this accomplishment for Herb and what he brings to the team as a player well I just think it's the transformation of Herb each and every year right I mean he comes into Alabama a lockdown defender every single year gets a little better you have the legend of the uh what are the the left-handed free throws, the right-handed free throws, his offhand free throw, broken hand. He has a dislocated finger in the middle of the year. He has the hip injury. But I think when Herb Jones was healthy, uh, he showed you what, how much he has really improved, especially from shooting beyond the arc, right? That was something that it was Herb at the dish or Herb nowhere on offense. And he was kind of just that guy that was on the floor for defense. So when you're on the offensive end of the floor, you mean you were really playing with four guys, and he was just a guy to run the offense through. But now, man, he's a legitimate threat to score. He can finish on both sides of the rim. He can shoot the basketball pretty well. I know he shot a couple bricks uh, today, but, you know, that, that's just going to come with, uh, you know, putting as many shots up on the rim as we do from deep. But, man, Herb Jones, he was a legitimate contender for the Naismith Award, and that's what I was going to say. It's a little bit of lifetime achievement a little bit for her because – I, I think that he has earned it. You see some – we've seen some Heisman Lifetime Achievement Awards. But, dude, Herb Jones is uh, – he might go down as one of the most beloved Alabama basketball players in the last 20 years that we've seen. And if you ask the uh, face of Alabama basketball, he's never made a mistake. Yeah, that's right. We're talking about the face of Alabama basketball. Cameron, Fluffy, Luke, Ratliff. Uh, that's who J-Law is referring to. Um, but, but yeah, you know, I think it is partially a lifetime achievement award. Because, and I think really it's just the improvement that he's shown on the offensive side of the ball. But the versatility for me was big whenever I was looking at this. I mean, this guy, the last six or seven games of the season, he was running point guard on offense. And then when they came down on the other end of the floor, he's guarding the four slot for the other team. I mean, Herb is, you know, around the six seven six eight mark. But he's guarding guys that are that are six nine or above, and he's not only guarding them; he's shutting them down. He's getting steals, he's getting rebounds. I mean, his positioning was great, and um, sure, you, you know, there was a stretch where he did foul out, you know, four out of like seven games or something like that. And then um, we all thought that the hit was really bothering him. But either, like he said in his media availability uh, this week, that he, either he is a hundred percent, or he's just he's just gritting his teeth and just getting the job done. And um, so, yeah, I mean, not not the best offensive stats, but when you look at what he brings to a team, I don't think there's any doubt that there's plenty of arguments that can be made for Herb Jones being the best player in the SEC. Moving into the first round of the SEC tournament for Alabama, Alabama just just shows up, dominates Mississippi State, 85 to 48. The dogs don't even crack the 50 mark. Um, this is just utter blowout from the beginning. I mean, you can see in the first five minutes of the game, Mississippi State had had no business being on the court with Alabama. Um, the the pace of play that Alabama was playing with, Mississippi State was just too too big and too slow. And uh, you saw them in their game against Kentucky. They get out to the big lead. They're just dominating the paint. 
Um, Kentucky's got a bunch of freshmen. They couldn't really hack it inside with Abdullah Dew and um, Tala Smith in, in, in there. And, uh, and, and that really didn't play. It didn't carry over to, to, the next, to the next round against Alabama. Alabama was able to shoot the ball. You know, they're average. They're able to shoot the ball well. They, they shot it really good from two, and they were 100% on their free throws. I mean, just about the best game, you know, single-digit turnovers, about the best game you really could have asked for Alabama. Lester, um, I know you said you were, you were busy during the game, so you didn't get to watch all of it, but tell me what you, what you gathered just from the stat sheet and um, watching a couple of highlights from this game. I think that if you ask Nate Oates um, what does a perfect game look like, this is probably similar to it, um, similar to the LSU game. And going back to, you know, the Miss State win, great offensive showing and continued suffocating defense. If everybody, Nate Oates, that coach staff, Everybody should be 100% satisfied with this win. This is a great win, a great game to build some momentum off of. Man, guys, that offense has been slacking lately, for lack of better words, man. It, it hasn't looked great. And they came out today and lit it up. And I'm, I was so glad listening to the game at work. I, probably my least productive day of my job. But it was so much fun to watch. I mean, to just listen to shots. Boom, Chris Stewart getting excited. Everybody just turning up and having a good time. And the fact that you can look at the score sheet and say that Miss State, Miss State didn't score 50 points, there's nothing more to be. There's there's really not a whole lot to criticize. I hope that Primo comes back and, you know, I hope that his injury is not too serious. But um, something that surprised me was Bruner had zero points in this game, which was – it was just – shocking when I went back and looked at the stats, but, you know, despite all that, you know, Q coming off the bench, been a great six man, um, providing a great offensive spark. This is a dang good win and Tennessee and the rest of the SC better look out. Yeah. And, and really Bruner really hasn't gotten his offensive form back yet, but he does bring so much more to the table. I think simply just by getting Alex Reese off the floor, Alex only played eight minutes against Mississippi state and just, Bruner just being a better body and just doing little things, whether it's hedging screens better, moving, you know, better footwork on the defensive end, rebounds, whatever it is. Um, it's, it's just good to see Alex Reese um, not be on the floor as much. Um, but uh, J-Law, you know, we all know that the phrase defense travels, and we've talked about it before, about Alabama's defense it's easily good enough to win a national championship. It's the offense that had kind of been slacking in the last couple of weeks. You see the, uh, the second half barrage against Georgia, and that carries over into the first round of the tournament. But this defense, I mean, with the pace of play that Alabama plays, we've talked about how your opponents are going to get a lot of shots too. Um, you know, you're, you might cause some more turnovers because you might force them out of their comfort zone. And if you get a slower team like Mississippi State trying to play at your pace – then that's detrimental to them and, and their success. So since you're going to give up a lot of possessions and give up a lot of shots, for you to give up less than 50 points, talk about what Alabama was able to do from a defensive standpoint in this game against Mississippi State. Well, I thought their defense started with making shots. when And we, since we call a lot of high school ball, I mean, when high school teams make shots, they're able to get into their defensive set it makes it that much harder for the other team to come down there and steal a bucket away. 
And it, it, you know, that's a little bit of it. Obviously, it was 37 to 12 at one point. Uh, Mississippi State was missing shots, but it was an overall hustle performance. I mean, there was a couple times and a couple possessions where you had three or four guys in the same defensive set for Alabama diving on the floor for basketball. That's a John Petty that we've never seen before this year. That's, uh, you know, Shackelford last year, a little hesitant on the defensive end. Well, he comes in this one. And you, when you're able to come out with JQ and Primo and these guys attacking the bucket and make shots, it makes it so much easier. But I also thought we learned we got back to a perfect style for NATO's. Yeah, I realized they, made, they went eight for 24 from three in the first half. So that's 33%. Well, they went 10 for 12 from two. Well, you know what? Those eight, those eight threes gave them 24. Those 10 two-pointers only gave them 20. And they were still able to shoot 50% from the field going eight for 24 from three. That's, almost, I mean, that's nearly perfect inside of the paint in the, in the first half. And if Nate Oates could find ways for his guys to finish at the rack and kind of tighten that defense a little bit, because I thought you saw it from JQ and Primo and Herb, when they were getting to the rim, the defense shrunk down, and then the three balls absolutely started coming. It doesn't matter how many threes this team makes, guys, because at some point it's more valuable to shoot the three than it is to shoot the two. And I thought Alabama was a perfect example of that in the first half. 24 points from deep, 20 points from the field, less threes from deep. I mean, it was it was a perfect example of modern-day college basketball and how Nate Oates is taking advantage of just the the great shooters and how much emphasis high school ball is putting on shooting, getting those guys into his system, and then just going out there. And if you can hit them, dude, you're going to win them. That's exactly right. Yeah, and and you know, the thing about it, you got you got to hit them because if you don't, you know, Mississippi State's a good example. They're so big inside that Alabama doesn't really have the length and the and the the height to go in there and play with them. I mean, Bruner six eleven, but you know. I mean, he's from Yale, you know, this get this guy like a dude who looks like he's 35 years old out there and he's all rocked up and everything. And, you know, Bruner's still a slender stretch five. And, um, and so, you know, Alabama, you know, they, they really couldn't play the old style of basketball against a team like Mississippi state. But what they did was just, you know, once they hit the three early, it really opened up the inside and they were able to execute to perfection just because they hit the three early and um, like you said, even the fact that you have so many shooters out there, you have to respect it at all times because Alabama, as we've seen in the past, they're a team that can start over 10 and then hit their next eight. I mean, we, we've seen that multiple times. So they'll start one for nine and then all of a sudden, boom, they're 10 for 16 or what, you know, whatever it is. I mean, it can happen just like that because, you know, they have multiple guys that can get hot and, it, you know, you're going to have five shooters on the floor at all times. I mean, hell, even James Rojas is making threes now. He was two out of three from the arc, I, I believe. Um, so, really, it's everybody but Alex Reese. But, um, Lester, I want to talk about this cat a little bit because this is a guy that I'm not, I'm not going to say we were down on him, but he was making a lot of mistakes early in the year and even early in the SEC play. He was kind of the one guard that just couldn't really figure it out. He really didn't know what he was. And all of a sudden, man, the last – month or so Javon Quinterly has just been on fire from the outside the three-point shot has opened up the dribble lanes for him he's able to go by people man it seemed like this guy two months ago couldn't go by my newborn daughter you know what I'm saying he would dribble off his foot or dribble off somebody else's foot just get it taken from him whatever and sure that still does happen sometimes 
but he is playing so much better, probably playing the best ball on Alabama's team right now. Talk about what Javon Quinterly has been able to do this last month to get so white hot heading into the tournaments. I think, I think what it is is that he's comfortable now. He's comfortable. The, the responsibility, the task of directing and running this offense is not on him. He has a defined role. He has settled nicely into this role. Come off the bench, make plays, shoot the ball, score points, and, of course, play defense. He's, he's in his – he's found his home. He's found where he's supposed to be. I always felt like, you know, watching him play, you always felt like, what is he doing? He's trying to do too much. Calm down. Do what you're good at. And now I feel like whether Oates talked to him or the staff or whatever, he's found his role. And he's comfortable. He's doing what he's good at. I had no idea this guy was such a good three-point shooter, but, man, by God, he can make it. And I love it. Pull up, shoot it. And, hey, when they come up to guard you 30 feet from the rim, take that guy to the rack and go jelly fam on him. <laughs> it's, it's fun watching him play, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad he's found his role in this team. Yeah, I mean, when you, when you shoot the three at the, at the rate that he is right now, I mean, he's shooting over or right at 50%. I mean, this guy, you, you have to respect that. I don't care who you are. And, you know, it's a lot like Steph Curry. I mean, sometimes Steph Curry, what he's able to do off the dribble is just so easy because the guys are playing on the balls of their feet 25 feet away from the rim. And you get somebody leaning forward like that, you give them a little hezzy or whatever, you can just go right by them and it makes it really easy. And um, there, there's been some layouts where he's been uncontested at the rack. Um, J-Law, you know, your buddy Evan Wright um, texted me today and really – Quinterly started started this hot streak whenever he went to the bench. You know, he started for a while, couldn't really get it going. Then now that he's gone to the bench, I think he should have won six six man of the year. Um, they gave it to the guy from from Arkansas, but I think that was just because there was just too many Bama guys getting awards um, already. And so, you know, he asked me if you you know with Primo going down in the game against Mississippi State, he asked me if if you should start uh, Quinterly or just bump Keon up to the rotation. Tell me what you think about Quinterly either starting or being in that that or staying in the six man in the rotation now that Primo is gone. I th- I don't think you can mess with JQ right now, right? I mean Primo's almost been non-existent for the last month, anyways. Um, I think you can bump Kyrie up. There's probably some other things that the guy that makes all the money has uh, up his sleeve, but Javon Quinterly, man, he's kind of like your leadoff guy in baseball not having any success, what do you do? You bump it down to the nine hole. He's in the exact same slot. Uh, it just He's just batting eight and not eight spots later. So, I mean, it, and he just builds a little more confidence coming off after the end of the batting order. And that's what JQ has done. I mean, he, he just looks more confident. He's not making the same mistakes. I guess he doesn't feel like he has as much pressure coming up in that slot. But, listen, the step back three today when he dribbled himself into the corner against somebody that was seven feet tall and just popped it over him. And uh, that's the JQ that I think everybody expected when he transferred in. And then he had to sit out last year, obviously, while everybody else was getting a waiver. He wasn't able to get one. But for what JQ has done off the bench, I'm not sure you can mess with that right now. I mean, we're not going to catch Primo for the rest of this uh, tournament. We don't really like unless they've said we don't really know what's up with Primo um, after this tournament either. But 
I think you leave JQ where he is. You try to work Kyrie in. Um, you know, I really don't want to see – it's not that I don't want to see a lot of Alex Reese guys, but if you're going to shoot as many threes as Alex Reese does, you got to be a little bit better of a shooter. So we'll see what NATO does. Um, but right now, man, if these guys who stay hot throughout this tournament, I mean, if they can build a little more confidence going into the NCAA tournament, man, Alabama, the last, what, three halves, this is a national championship type team that they that they've been playing like over the last, what is that, 60 minutes of basketball? Very impressed. Yeah, it's it's definitely been been something that's that's been fun to watch with Quinterly. And yeah, it's just he's gotten out of the put his head down and just drive no matter what type of mentality. He's he's really his basketball IQ has gotten better, I believe. And uh, it's you know, it's picking his spots, you know, knowing when to drive, knowing when to, you know, force contact and then knowing when to play the finesse game, you know, use your jelly or whatever, and then you know, shoot the three ball. And of course, you know, when you're hitting it, it also helps, you know, guys with with Kentucky out of the tournament, because I think we can all agree, Ken- tournament Kentucky, we were a little worried about, even though they had a terrible regular season, probably the worst team that Calipari has had since he's been at Kentucky. Um, you know, now that they're out of the way and um, Alabama with the showing that they had, they got to play Tennessee um, in, in the next game. And then, you know, going to be probably going to be Arkansas, if we had to guess. Lester, what's Alabama's chances of uh, of of running this thing out and um and and winning the damn SEC tournament? Uh, I think a couple weeks ago you asked me that question. I said ninety or ninety or one hundred percent, something outlandish like that. But look, if they play like they played today and they continue to do that, that 90 percent, I'm I'm a down that sword. Look, these guys, they're not going to be beaten in the SEC tournament if they continue to shoot and play ball like this. I'm going to call it, and I'm going to, hey, pull for Alabama to be the SEC championship. The SEC winners, the SEC champs, might as well. They came out and they proved something today. I don't know whether it was the the rest. I don't know if they had dead legs going to the end of the season. But the team we saw today was a team with some new life breathed into it. So I'm I'm loving what I'm saying. I'm looking forward to seeing these guys host up a trophy come Sunday. J Law, what how confident are you with Tennessee and let's just say Arkansas and Alabama's path? How confident are you Alabama can close this thing out and you know definitely nab the two seed in the in the NCAA tournament, but maybe even a one? Well, I, yeah, I think if they win the tournament and they win one of the next two games by 10-plus. I think they can sneak right up there as, as the last one seed getting in. I, I, I do think you're going to see Alabama and Arkansas in the finals. I think it'll be the first and second best teams um, in the regular season trying to gut one out on Sunday. But if I listen, guys, if I, we put, it's easy to say if Alabama plays like this, they're going to win it. Yeah, they are. But can they? Um, since the first 10-game stretch of the SEC, this game, this team has been up and down, up and down, up and down. They've lost to the last three ranked teams as they played. You can make the case. I know Arkansas didn't look great in their um, in their quarterfinal appearance. But, you know, like Alabama's having a tough time beating really good teams. And they've drummed some bad teams. They've also played some bad teams really close. Um when is, but when does Arkansas's hot streak in? I mean, they've closed the SEC regular season better than anybody else. They were the hottest team coming into the SEC tournament. Um, out, 
I guess the uh, catalyst for their year was their comeback win versus Auburn. They were down by like 13 or 15 points. They were able to come back and win that game right there in the middle of the SEC regular season. And they've been hot ever since. They have a better overall record than Alabama. They've uh, only lost five games. I think they're 23 and five. We're 22 and six. So Alabama and Arkansas on the Sundays sounds uh, really fun. And a couple of years ago, these were two really bad SEC teams, I think. And now they could be repping in the SEC uh, tournament championship game together. Should be fun. Um, I just don't think Alabama's going to lose to Tennessee, though, right? I, I just don't. I just think we're light years better than them. So I definitely think it's Alabama in the championship game. And can they get over that Arkansas hump? They've blown Arkansas out by, what, 30 points one time, lost to them the next time. So it'll, it'll be the one to split it. Yeah, I don't see Tennessee being able to, to stay on the floor with Alabama. I think the the Florida game was kind of fluky. Um, plus, you know, they got some extra motivation once a guy got elbowed twice in the face. But um, <clears throat> anyway, yeah, I, I just, you know, this is a lot easier to say than do. But for Alabama, you just got to shoot your averages, man. Because when if, if Alabama shoots their averages, they can beat any team in the country. And what I mean by that is their averages right now, they're – 71, 72% from the stripe. They're right at the 50% mark from two, 36% from deep. If you shoot those averages, and really, I mean, they shot a little bit better. I think they were like 63% or something like that from two against Mississippi State, but they're right on the nodes at 36% from deep. <clears throat> and, uh, of course, you know, they they shot uh, eight free throws and made all of them. Alabama's get, been getting about 19 free throws per game and um, making about 14 of them. So they're a little under their average as far as free throws attempted um, in, in that regard against Mississippi State. But if Alabama can just shoot their averages with the way they play defense and the way they can lock you down, it's just it's going to be really hard for anybody to beat Alabama. And that includes Gonzaga, Baylor. Baylor lost in, their, in the Big 12 tournament. Um, Oklahoma State, I mean, whoever, Michigan, Illinois, whoever you want to throw against them, if Alabama can just play their game, play at, the, play at the pace that they need to play at. And, of course, you know, turnovers comes into play, too. Like I mentioned earlier, they only had nine turnovers against Mississippi State. So, if they can just keep the ball away from the other team and just shoot their averages, I, I, don't, see, I, I don't see a team that's, that's going to be able to hang with them in a tournament-type setting, whether it's the SEC or the NCAA. But, you know, your big four, Q, Shaq, Petty, and Herb, they're going to take – more more than likely over half your shots against Mississippi State. I did some number crunching. They were they shot 52% of Alabama shots um, versus Mississippi State. They were 50% from the field, 44% from deep. And and that's that's a big uh that's that's a big thing is consistently consistency between those four. Um, you know, anybody else, whether it's Bruner, Primo, Ellis, Rojas, Darius Miles, Juwan Gary, anything that they get. Anything that you get from them offensively, it's just icing on the cake. I think all those guys are combined averaging like 33 points a game. And then, you know, the, the big four that I mentioned um, first are averaging like 51 combined per game. And so that's a big part of Alabama's offense. you got to get consistency from those four. Then anything after that, it's just icing on the cake. And, you know, if you can get 40 bench points or whatever like they got against Mississippi State, and that's going to help as well. But um, Lester – Anything? We're gonna cut this short here. I got a, I got like I said, I got a newborn. Wife needs help with her. So, uh, any Lester, anything, anything else you want to add? Um, heading into this Tennessee matchup. Yeah, hey, like you said in the podcast uh, last week with um, 
with Evan crunching some numbers again. Alabama shot 36% today from three. Like you said, if we can just keep it around 30, 35%, I believe that's what you said. If we can do that, continue to play great defense, this seems it's going to be a position to win every game from here on out. So good call with that. Yeah, it might not be 100% live and die by the three, but, you know, if you if you want to live, period, you're going to have to knock down some three-point shots. You're not going to be able to shoot under 35% and beat a lot of solid teams. I mean, as good as Alabama played, let's face it, this is still, you know, an SEC where the league as a whole is better than it has been in the past, but the big dogs up top are just not there. Kentucky's not there. Tennessee had a lot of expectations coming in. They've been pissed poor down the stretch. Auburn was cheating. They're on a, a self postseason ban or whatever. I mean, you've got eight teams in the SEC that are in the Kim or in the net rankings that are top 60, but only two that are top 20. And usually that's in the four or five range. And so, you know, if, when you run up against those good teams, you're going to have to shoot better than 35% um, from, from deep in, in order to win. But, uh, J-Law, any last thoughts? Man, we appreciate you coming on. We hope you can join us more. I know you're, you're a busy man now with the, <clears throat> with, with the broadcast career that you've got going on. We wish you the best in that. Anything else you want to add before we get out of here? Yeah, against Tennessee, maybe not, but against Arkansas most likely on Sunday. Um, it's not going to be as easy, you know. It's, it's, it's easier to shoot when you know that every possession doesn't matter. And some of these games down the stretch, especially once you get to the big, the big dance, Every possession matters. That's why Alabama does have to shoot 35% from three. It's not so they could stay alive. It's just because every single possession down the stretch of a lot of these games is going to matter, and a couple percentage points on your three-point shooting could, could absolutely wreck you. So if Alabama keeps playing great defense, and, and it, they don't have to play lights out, but they do need to play better than they did through the second half of the SEC season. If they could keep this thing rolling, man, there's no telling. There's, there's nothing – the only thing stopping – how far Alabama can go 